33rd Sunday in ordinary time. It's 33rd Sunday. It's just about time for the lanky guys. Eat some fries. Pretend like the prize is on your lips and spit it out, out like you quipped. Like, what up, dog? You listen to the podcast. What's up now? Yo, I'm just like the broadest mind. I'm behind all the times. This is this is getting real. Welcome to the Word in the Hill podcast. Father Peter's losing his mind over there. It is. This is. This is Lanky guys. I am Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Musset. Yeah, that was intense. You really got into it. Dude, you yeah. got in deep. So, you guys, it is the day after the presidential election. We we're stayed little, up super late. We're just feeling it's weird, but the world has not ended. Martial law has not been declared yet. All seems to be holding intact. The sun rose in the east this morning, as far as I could tell. Yep, it will set in the west. It can. I mean, there. this podcast won't air you know, for a couple more days, so I mean, there's time for all of those things to happen. But mm-hmm. as of today, as of Wednesday, things are okay. God is in control. God is still the king, and we will go from there. Dude, absolutely. And I, but that's why we're a little, well, you're a little delirious. You're a little delirious. And I yet- was before I pushed record, and then I pulled it together. Oh yeah, that's true. Father Peter, you uh Father Peter gave one of the best homilies I've ever heard last weekend. Dude, thanks. And um we it got us talking about the nature of this podcast and why I don't know. I I just I hope hmm we were talking about, you know, we were having a debate and we've kind of gone back and forth about, you know, should, maybe we should podcast some of Father Peter's homilies and stuff. You know, other priests do that, other people that we respect and listen to, some of them do stuff like that. And we realize what we want this podcast to be in particular is uh, we don't want to be just people that you come and listen to and are entertained by and can go. We want you to come to this podcast so that you feel like you can take the information and actually replicate it, that you can talk to your friends, that you can lead a Bible study if you're a priest, that you can give your own homily and not just have to listen to what we say. But, you know, the the truest mark of a teacher is the ability of their students to be able to reproduce the things that they've said and actually be able to teach. Absolutely. So thank you. I guess this is just a roundabout way of thanking those of you who are priests and come to us for resources, who are leading Bible studies and small groups based on some of this material, who are, you know, going and speaking to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, and and going and using the information that the church is giving to all of us and actually being teachers in the world. Absolutely. We treasure you guys. And parents who are sharing this information with their kids. And I forgot them. <laughs> it is, as Father Peter said earlier, the 33rd, <laughs> the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. I think it, it's easy. This is the thing. I have hope. It's easy I've got to, a lot of hope. It's easy to look at these readings, for example. It's easy Without to look, hope? Well, and make them apocalyptic in the sense that they're not meant to be. Right. Um, in, in, well, let's get there in a minute. Let's, let's jump in. Cause let, we should, we should, we should, we our should first go. reading, um, is, uh, coming from the book of Malachi Malachi, and it's the chapter three followed by the verse 19 to 20 a, unless you're reading most Bibles, in which case it's actually chapter four verses one through two. I think there, uh, there's a, dis, there's a discrepancy uh, in the text between, uh, the the Latin te- text and the Hebrew text. Um, so in the Hebrew, which a lot of your Bibles, if you're looking this up on your own, might be based on. So in my RSV, Catholic edition, in the NIV that I was kind of cross-referencing with, this is the beginning of chapter four. 
So anyway, don't, don't be thrown off if you're to go back and try to look up the readings if you want to study on your own. In some of your Bibles, this might be the first couple chapters, of, uh, verses of chapter 4. Dude, I'll it's tell a difference you. in where the, the chapter marking is put. It doesn't affect the text or its inerrancy or its, you know, its inspiration, any of that. It's just where someone chose to put the chapter division. Scott, I still think that our whole job in life should be um, re- putting all the chapters in the entirety of the scriptures. Or taking all of them out. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> our, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm number 98, verses 5 through 6, 7 through 8, and 9. And our response itself is from 9, verse 9, um, the ninth verse. The, the, ver- the verse, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of words in that verse. And ah, so yes. then our second reading is from Thessalonians. This is of the second. Ah, yes. Yeah, Second Thessalonians. Mm. So we're in Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses seven to twelve. I can go back and edit. <laughs> I have that ability. I do it every week. Uh, our gospel uh, reading is coming from what is lovingly called the eschatological discourse. Thing. Uh, Luke chapter twenty-one, verses five through nineteen, often seen as the end of the world discourse, but I don't think it is. It ain't about the end of the world. It's Believe ex- it or not. It's about enthronement, bro. You're about enthronement. Dude, I'm about to enthrone up right now. All right, let's go back to Malachi. There is uh, <laughs> mm, we don't, uh, I don't feel like we spend much time in the liturgy in Malachi, which is kind of a rotten shame because Malachi is a heck of an interesting book. face. <laughs> 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 I don't know why that struck me as so funny. <laughs> oh, you guys! I just okay. had to. Sh- I, d- I had to pivot in my emotional experience. You, you you wanted to be right there with me. I did. You wanted to share solidarity and that excitement <laughs> I had over Malachi, but you had nothing to back it up with. <laughs> That's okay. Malachi. Okay, a couple things to say about Malachi. Malachi number one. The first thing you should know: uh, Malachi is the last prophetic word from God until the New Testament. Oh. It is literally the end of Revelation until the birth of Jesus. And between the two, we have hundreds this of This is the last chapter of the, of the verses of the Old Testament. Yeah, there is the books of Maccabees, obviously, come between in our Bibles. But Maccabees, is, it's a narrative about something that happened. Malachi is really the, the last time God speaks to his people in this way. Does that make sense? Yeah, isn't there the prophecy of the uh, 70 weeks of years that no, we get in, from the angel Gabriel? That's in Daniel, though. That's in Daniel? Yeah. So then, does Angel Gabriel speak in Malachi? I'm sorry? Does Angel Gabriel speak in Malachi? No. What happens in Malachi? Why, why is it Lots. so significant? Okay. Then? Well, number one, just be, for the simple fact that it is the last word of God. Yeah. But to, to talk about its significance, here's, I think, the major reason. It's, well, there's so many reasons. One of the main things that we as Christians take away from this is this is the book where it really foretells that John the Baptist is coming. This is where it says before um, one of the final words. Before I I send my messenger and he will observe the way before my face and immediately will come into the temple his own, the Lord whom you seek, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. It's also where we hear that Elijah will come back prior to the Messiah, which of course then Jesus calls John the Baptist the new Elijah and all these things. But but a little bit of context, uh, because the context actually makes this very interesting. Um, Malachi... It falls in a really interesting time period in Israel. So we're around the time of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah, Haggai, all of those folks. Um, so Malachi is, is toward the tail end of that time period. If, do you remember what's going on in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah? 
Because it is a really important, uh, significant historical oh, moment for Israel. I know that the, what has just happened. Well, do you the, remember the first part? Is is that the most popular baby names all end with I? Nice. Um, so that that's Excellent. really taking place in that period. Uh, Nehemiah, oh, okay. and then um, um, no, isn't there rebuilding the temple, the yeah. wall, the like yep. Nehemiah? Nehemiah. Whenever I think of Nehemiah, is like he he's the kind of great leader to say. No, deal with the wall that's right in front of you, and let's reestablish Jerusalem, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So here's what happens. Because you're you're getting sick of me making. No, no, no. You're you're absolutely right. (laughs) 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 I I had a lot of editing to do last week. Let's just say. Oh no, that's all right. Well, remember last week we were like an hour. Oh yeah, my brother said it was one of the very best podcasts we ever did. Well, I did the most editing I've ever done on a podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, so Israel has gone into slavery and exile in Babylon, right? right? The Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, right? Cyrus the Persian comes to power, and he allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. So Israel begins to go back. They come back in three waves, right? So the exiles come back. Uh, the temple is rebuilt. The Persians actually gave them the money to do it because they tried to make recompense for what the Babylonians had done, how the Babylonians had wronged them. I mean, even the, the prophets, some of them say that Cyrus the Persian is like a kind of Messiah. He's not the Messiah, but he acts toward the salvation of the people of Israel in a real way because he sets them free. The last possible person that you'd expect to do a great good for the people of God, this person does, which again, I, you know, it's hard not to think about the election and our hopes and our fears and everything else. Yeah. So here's a guy that, that seemed like an unlikely candidate for doing great good to the people of God. But he does it. The temple is rebuilt. Um, it's finished in, in the year 516 under Zerubbabel. That number is important because, again, we're about 500 years prior to Christ. Remember, time works backwards in B.C. 480 years precisely. Well, well, in 516, they rebuilt the temple. They finished it. Oh, okay. So exactly 516. Years. Okay, yeah, I mean... Give or take. Yeah, but then this comes a little bit after the rebuilding. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, sorry, sorry certainly. So Se- then in- 70 weeks of years was prophesied that the Messiah would come. Right, so so a couple years later, Ezra comes back to Jerusalem, uh, th- several thousand more Jews, a guy named King Artaxerxes becomes the king of Persia, and he actually encourages the development and the extension of temple worship. He's oh. like, I want the Jews worshiping in their temple. He does it partially because he knows the more Jews that come to worship in the temple, the more tithes they'll give and the more that he can tax those tithes and get more <laughs> money. So it's a little bit of a backhanded thing going on. Uh, but then in the year 445, <laughs> Nehemiah, who was the Persian king's cupbearer, so he was a big deal in the kingdom, he was finally allowed to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city walls, like you said. He becomes the governor. And he says, okay, it's time to rebuild this city. Rebuilt this city, city on, on rock. And... So that's what he says. Roll. Um, <laughs> he's very good. He's righteous. Uh, he spearheads this massive reform aimed at helping the poor and encouraging people to um, to shun marriages with pagans and, and to return to the faithfulness to Yahweh, to his covenants, to all these things, to the Sabbath, uh, to tithe faithfully, to bring sacrifices to the temple. So things are good, right? But yeah. then in the year 433, a couple years later, something happens. And Nehemiah is called back to Persia for a small amount of time to, to do some more service for the king. He's like, I need you back. I need some work from you. And, it, you know, the old saying... As the well, the cat's away, the mice will play, right? So right. Nehemiah has to leave for a couple of years, go away on business, and while he's gone, the Jewish people fall right back into their sin. Uh-oh. And by the time that Nehemiah comes back, he discovers that the tithes have been ignored, the Sabbath is being broken, people were intermarrying, divorcing, uniting themselves with pagans, all these things, worshiping their gods. But more than anything, the priests of the people had become corrupt. 
And so more than anything else, the book of Malachi is a statement against the leadership of Israel. The priests have corrupted themselves. The word Malachi literally means messenger. It's what Malachi means in Hebrew. So the priests were supposed to be, in a certain sense, God's messengers. Mm. They have corrupted themselves. And because of that, the people have scattered. And uh, what Malachi comes back, and he comes back with a number of different charges. Basically, the the whole book takes the, the, the tone of a lawsuit case between here's what the people are saying about God. He doesn't really hear us. He doesn't really accept our tithes. We're not really seeing any of the fruit of this. And Malachi is coming back and saying, no, this is who God is. So we get smack in the middle of the book where Malachi begins talking. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. And he's talking about, again, basically the Jews should be thinking, did you forget where you've just come from? You just came from exile. You just came from slavery because of your unfaithfulness and your shunning of God's laws and his covenants and the trotting down of the poor. Did you forget all of that? And in response, Malachi says right here, lo, the day is coming blazing like an oven when the period of all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming that will set them on fire, leaving them with neither root nor branch, says the Lord of hosts. Really dark warning. Malachi is ticked off at what's going on here. And again, this, this should startle you because this is among God's last words to his people before there are literally hundreds of years of silence from God. And the next word that, I mean, after Malachi ends, do you know what the next word that God says to his people is? Uh, I don't know. It's when the angel Gabriel, essentially, I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Angel Gabriel appears to Mary and he says, his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. So, I mean, imagine the schema here. They've come out of exile. They've come out of slavery. God is being good to us. We forget about that incredibly quickly. We corrupt ourselves again. We fall right back into our old ways. And then God is silent. And what is the question on the on the hearts of all of Israel? Is Has, God with us? Is God with us or not? Has he abandoned yeah. us? It's silent. Where is he? What do we yeah. do? And then there's this announcement that Emmanuel. This is we see why the church is using these readings to set us up for Advent. This is the end of ordinary time. It's setting us up for what is to come. And it ends, of course, with the with the hopeful line, but for you who fear my name, there will arise the Son of Justice. With his this translation, the one that you're going to hear at Mass, says, with his healing rays, which, with all due respect to the translator, I think it's a bad translation. What it says in the, in, in the proper translation is there's healing in his wings, which actually matters a great deal. Yeah. Um, think about what, in this very short little passage, what's going to happen. All of these evildoers will be stubble. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is one of those themes that comes up in the prophets a lot. This day of final judgment. And I don't mean final judgment in the sense of when we all die and we will stand face to face with God. There is this sense that there is a day coming in which God will step into humanity and the bad guys are going to be punished and the good guys will be vindicated and everything else. The day of the Lord is going to be like a blazing oven. The evildoers will be stubble. Um, They'll set them on fire. And it says, leaving them neither root nor branch. Leaving them neither root nor branch. Mm. What does that make you think of? If you're thinking like a good Old Testament formed Jew. Uh, uh, The stump of Jesse. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because in, what is that, Jeremiah or Isaiah? 
talks about even when the day of the Lord comes. Isaiah talks about the day of the Lord, too, and this destruction, this utter devastation. But it talks about there being a root, a stump that will remain, out of which Israel will be reborn. This actually talks about the stump and the root being obliterated. Even they will be destroyed. And that, I think, sets us up very well for what the scriptures are very subtly, under the surface, pointing us toward. Because there is a but here. But for you who fear my name... There will what arise the son of justice oh. with healing in his wings. Um, how how I who are we talking about? I oh, mean, sorry, what were you oh say? how I get, long to gather you underneath my wings. Yes, and uh, and the, the the I mean like that's Luke and Mark. Jesus talking uh, Jerusalem. Speaking of Jerusalem, saying I want to gather you as a hen gathers her brood. It's actually right before our gospel that we get this week. Oh, or a little bit before. Yeah. So let's let's actually hold off on that till we get there. Yeah. So this is a good setup, right? Yeah, this is a great setup, okay. and and I and I I'm picking up what you're putting down, dog. Oh, Here's what I want to say about Psalm hey, 98. Boo-boo. Did you just? Hey, throw hey, boo boo! I didn't mean to, but that's that, wow. That was this like this is Yogi. This is Yogi Bear, I did. Yogi Bear. Uh. <laughs> it's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> oh, deja vu all over again. Get it? It's a Yogi Bear. I know. Quote. I was I was just, and then I said it over again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. This is absurd. Yeah, let's, Psalm let's, ninety-eight. Uh, let's uh, not ninety-eight it, dude. Okay, here's what I want to say about Psalm ninety-eight. Um, uh, okay, the Lord comes to rule the earth with justice. Is the response royal will get? The Lord comes. This is about the day of the Lord. The Lord's going to come. He's going to bring justice. There will be punishment. There will be vindication. Yeah, I, I, there's a connection there to the day of the Lord. But there's something that's interesting about Psalm ninety-eight to me. Is actually what we don't get in the mass this week. And if you go back to the beginning of Psalm 98, the way that it actually begins is, and we, we know Psalm 98 maybe in a, in, with, with different, we're familiar with a different part of Psalm 98. So Psalm 98 starts by saying, sing to the Lord a new song. Because of wonderful things he has done he did. wondrous things. Yeah. Um, his right hand and his holy arm have wrought salvation. Brazos. And the thing that I want to point out about that, the, when, when you see in scripture, his right arm... Or his, uh, what does it say? Right hand and holy arm. Yeah, his right hand, his holy arm. His his right hand, or arms, hands, God's holy arm, that thing. Whenever you see that terminology show up, it always has to do with God setting people free from exile. Oh. So it shows up in Exodus. It's There's Exodus language here of when God set them free from Egypt with yeah. his right arm, his strong arm. When he set them free from Babylon under Cyrus the Persian, what he's going to do in the future. So for everything else that this psalm says, sing praise to the Lord with the harp, um, you know, with trumpets, the sound of the horn. All of this that the psalm is telling us that we're going to be singing for the good, well-formed Jewish mind. This is reminding them of all of the times that God set us free from slavery, set us free from our sin. Our sin, I mean, this is the cycle. Sin leads to slavery. Slavery leads to I mean, there is a cycle that you can see. Well, so sin leads to slavery. Slavery leads to exile. Exile leads, it tends to be the case, to Israel coming to her senses and saying, we need God's help. Israel calling out for help leads to God stepping in and helping. Leads to redemption. Leads to emancipation. Emancipation leads to freedom. Freedom leads to laziness. Laziness leads to breaking the law again. Sin leads to slavery. And the cycle starts again, right? But this would be a very clear reminder. This is what you need to cry out for, for the Lord and his strong arm. It's like what we talked last week, the sedaka, the outcry, 
The Lord hears that. Sometimes it takes us a little while to get to our point of desperation before we cry out to the Lord and realize that we need saving. Right. But this is meant to remind us of all the times in the past that he has done that. Right. So the fact that Israel has just come out of exile in the time of Malachi, this is meant to remind them, don't forget where you just came from. We don't forget where you've come from. We're pretty deep into ordinary time. We're about to go into Advent. Don't forget what happened in Lent last year. Right. Don't forget the freedom and the healing and the salvation that you needed and how it was won on the cross. Right. Even though you're thinking about snow and Christmas lights and wreaths and, you know, hams, don't forget how, <laughs> don't forget where the story goes. Yeah. This is why the, the liturgical life of the church is secular. We go around and around because we're not to forget any of it and how we got to where we are. Does that make any sense? It totally makes sense. But that reference point, I think, would have been clear to the Jews. And it's supposed to reverberate for us, too. Mm. We need salvation. We need we salvation. We need to remember that and, we need salvation. And that's actually where we, um, like, judgment is ultimately always oriented towards salvation. It says it's the presence oh, yeah. of the Lord, for he's coming to judge the earth. Yes. He will judge the earth with righteousness and people with equity. Yeah. Like, like that's that's the hard part is that like when we experience that judgment, when we say I'm in trouble, mm. you're in trouble. I mean, like that's actually how our justice system would ideally be oriented yeah. is to say this judgment comes down and you can say I'm in trouble. I'm going to seek salvation and yeah. and I want to be restored. And yeah. like restorative justice is, is really a lot of what the Lord is attempting to do. Absolutely. And um, so... Yeah, yeah, let's let's jump into Thessalonians. Thessalonians, I'm trying to find a good way to tie this in. Those um, who would not eat should not work. Yeah, well, yes. I just flipped it around. No, for it's you. wait. Those who should not eat would should not work. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you're not eating, you're not going to work because you obviously cause have, you're hungry and because you're hungry and tired and pretty <laughs> irritable. So, yeah, yeah. So it's like so you really should check that and get some food. So this is Paul, 2 Thessalonians. Yep. We've been in 2 Thessalonians for a couple of weeks, right? Yep. A lot of it has to do with, with the end of the world-ish stuff and the coming of the Lord yeah. and the parousia and the Antichrist, all these things. This is a bit of a side note in, into practical matters, but you guys are kind of messing things up. Think about the time of Malachi. Things are good. We're talking about our salvation. We've come back, and then we become complacent again. I mean, you, you can think of the same thing. Paul's just established this church. Where I mean, we're two thousand years out from the Christ event, from from the, the 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 actual event of the cross and the resurrection. Imagine you're a couple decades out. It's hard for us who are thousands of years out to look back and be like, "It's so fresh. Like Jesus just died, right. and you're already getting lazy." Like, right. you can almost see how 2,000 years in, somebody could start to get lazy. Yep. But you're like, 15, 30 years out, you're already <laughs> forgetting this? Yeah. But this is, again, the pattern of Scripture. So Paul is saying to them, brothers and sisters in this community in Thessaloniki, you know how you must imitate us, for we didn't come in disorderly ways among you, nor did we eat food that we received from anyone. On the contrary, in toil and drudgery night and day, we worked so as not to burden any of you. Not that we do not have the right. Rather, we wanted to present ourselves as a model to you so that you may imitate us. Um, and it, it, he says, when we were there, we told you if anyone's unwilling to work, you shouldn't eat. He shouldn't eat. But there's a bunch of people who are lazy and are basically, um, uh, what's the word? Living off the fat living of the off land. Living off the fat of the land. Or not living off the fat of the land, living off the fat of the church. Yes. Very specifically. What, what I'm seeing is, like, as, as I look at this, I see a very much, like, the temptation of priests. Like you, you know that you you have like massive job security. You need a ton of people, 
Uh, I mean, like you need priests to be able to celebrate the sacraments and like, like there's a certain basic things that you need to get done as yeah. a priest and you can get them done and still live a lazy life. That's not filled with conversion. Yep. And like, like it's a very, and it's a temptation, especially when the world is overwhelming, there's profound suffering. I look at that, but like, and this, you can act like a busybody and just be running around there, but it's like, wow, look how busy this person is. Yes. I, I see it as a temptation as a priest myself. Yes. Um, where, where like you, you, I have to be very careful of that, like running back and forth and doing all these things versus saying like, oh no, hold on. I'm actually really going to try to accomplish something. I think that that's, that's the whole, like that, there's a, there's a reality there in Christ is that he has given a vision to us in our hearts of what is coming and we're to meant to act towards that end. And if we're not acting towards that end, then oftentimes we're just going to deal with what comes to us. Yeah. And, and you, and then you, then you can just kind of be like, well, not much is coming to us today, so I'm just gonna binge watch the n- new season of some Marvel thing, you know? Or, yeah. Like, which is just—it's just a temptation. We can say, "I just want to check out for a little while." Yes, I think that's true. And, and what goes, I think, hand in hand with that is, I think this—I think this ties in. It, Paul, Paul, Paul's doing is talking about. I think this is an accusation toward both of us, and this is where my. Oh, I kind of feel thanks it. Thanks for accusing gut. me, dude. Uh, well, me too. I'm I'm putting myself with you. Okay. Paul's talking about, and he he it echoes a lot of what he says in First Corinthians, which is why I'm remind, and I'm trying in my head not to mix the two up, but here and in First Corinthians, he talks a lot about rights. And in First Corinthians, you know, or maybe it was Second Corinthians, but they're accusing him of all these things. He's like, "You're a terrible apostle. You've called us out for these things. We're mad at you, Paul." And he's like, "Hey, I." He, he begins to talk about rights. Because people are saying, well, I have a right to this and I have a right. And we're a country that likes to talk about our rights. We don't always like to talk about sacrifice. Right. And this is where Paul's getting to. And he, he says here and elsewhere, look, basically, I have the right to be paid by you guys. I've done a service. I am working for you. I've given up a lot. And I have the right to actually be paid for my work. He says in First Corinthians, I have the right to have a wife. If I want to, to actually be married. But he says, I have given up and sacrificed those things. I've sacrificed specifically the um, the right I have to be paid by you just so you could never accuse me of trying to swindle you somehow or trying to do this. I'm in it for the money. And I, I'm I'm convicted a little bit because, I mean, I think of rabbis. I'm not a rabbi, but, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm not a priest. Rabbis weren't priests. They were teachers of the scriptures, which is, I guess, the closest to what I do. But rabbis weren't paid. Nobody was a career rabbi. They had other jobs, and their voca- their other vocation was to be a rabbi. Mm. But you didn't get paid for being a rabbi, and that was actually kind of thought foolish. That's what the Sadducees were doing. This is what you talked about last week, the careerists, right? They right. kind of checked in and checked out. And I think we all know lots of priests that are just kind of doing what they have to do, clocking in, clocking out. Um, you know, I was doing a Bible study on First Samuel, the sons of Eli. They were they were clocking in, clocking out priests, right? Right. And that's convicting to me because I never want to show up to work. I'm like, I'm a theologian. I'm a teacher of the scriptures. Give me my paycheck. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna come teach my class, do my podcast. Yeah. Because we see a lot of people in the scriptures who fall into that spirit of entitlement. Yeah. And are career priests or career this. teachers, yep. clock in, clock out rabbis. Right. And we don't deserve any of it. We're graced and blessed beyond words to get to. I mean, I do. I, I, you know, I live in a perpetual, I'm a pessimist by nature. And so uh, I yeah. live in a perpetual state of fear. And I, I do wake up a lot of mornings. I'm like, I can't believe that I get to do this. Like, I can't believe that this is actually my job. I really love this. Yeah. I get to study the scriptures, to teach them, to meet with people, to sit down, to try to provide answers, to help people think. 
I get to do that for a living. And I, I hate the thought of losing that sense right. of, whoa, I get to do this right. and I actually get a paycheck for it. Praise be to God for that. Amen. I'm really, I, I have a legitimate fear of losing that awe. Right. So I don't know. That's what you, should, I'm you should. I have a legitimate fear of you losing that awe too. And if you Because I'll fire I mean, you. At please that don't. Point. <laughs> Do you see how that eye contact I was making? Yeah, me? yeah. I saw that. Well, yeah, that's, and that's beautiful because like, I mean, that's the craziest part about our lives is that we have the gift of being able to share the very best reality that exists, the the deepest things that are. Now, this is our full time work, but it's everybody's work. It's like you absolutely that's, actually that's like when when I was going to school for art and I was there and like I started sharing the gospel. I was like, everything pales in comparison to the transmission of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Everything does. Like it's like I'm like I love making beautiful things and gems and gold and silver and all them. Right. But like it's just. But then when it comes to actually having somebody's spirit awaken within Christ, it's like uh, it's all dross. But the fact that they don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? And this is the other thing that I was reminded of, right? There's so many people that we can think of in the church and in ministry. They just, you know, you know that kind of excuse that well, it's ministry, so we can kind of get away with doing, you know, it's Christian music, so it's not going to be as good, or it's a Christian movie, so it's going to be whatever, right. you know. Right. Not, we don't always have the sense of this should be better than it. like the great artists, the great you know mu- classical musicians. They were doing it. I mean, the greatest classical pieces were for mass. Right. This is where some of the greatest music in the West come from. This is where some of the greatest art in the West was someone pouring themselves out on behalf of giving glory to God. Right. But we sometimes fall into this thing of like, well, it's ministry, so we'll give it a pass. Or, you know, it's, you know, they're just doing this, so we'll kind of give it a pass. And not seeking after that. That's also what I'm hearing in Paul's words. Right. If you're going to do it, do it. Get up, toil, work hard, make it as, as beautiful and profound as it could possibly be. Right. It's not, your art is not separate from your ministry. Right. You know what I mean? My yep. scholarship and academics is not separate from my ministry. Right. It can't be. And if it is, then what are we doing? Right. Anyway, we're, he's talking about a lazy faith. And that's what is happening in the time of Malachi. Yep. They are separating their lives. And one of the things that it's either Malachi or Haggai or Ezra and Nehemiah, probably all of them together, and Zechariah is in this time period too. They're basically saying, look, we don't have time to rebuild the temple. We got to worry about our own houses. I'm building my house. I don't have time to put work into the temple and to God's things. Right. And he's like, how can you say that? How are the two mutually exclusive? Right. How can you have one and not the other? The God who has given you everything is asking you to pour yourself into this. Yeah, absolutely. But they're lazy and look at what has happened and they fall into accusation. Yeah. Which takes us to another time of lazy people of God, <laughs> which is in the time of Jesus. Uh, when he has finally, now I mentioned last week, we've jumped over Palm Sunday. We've been traveling toward Jerusalem for weeks. We jumped over Palm Sunday. Right before Palm Sunday, we actually get, I think it's in chapter 20, we get that line that you mentioned when Jesus, he finally has arrived. He looks out over across the Kidron Valley, I think, looks at Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, stoning the prophets and killing those who were sent to you. How I would have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. Right. Um, when, under what circumstances would a hen gather her brood under her wings? Uh, when they, she wanted to feed them? No. When she wanted to protect them from cats? Protect, <laughs> yes. There's cats coming in the Gospels. <laughs> the cats are coming. 
<laughs> but to protect them from danger, right? You gather your Which ha- your cats brood. are freaking dangerous, cats are dude. Freaking scary. Uh, and they're mean. I'm sorry for all you cat people out there, but I just I don't trust them. They look dog, at me like they would kill me if I ever turned my back. But on of them. course, dogs like to eat birds too. Well, that's for the best. Though. But they're not as scary. They're like friendly, like eat dogs, <laughs> dog eating bird, bird eating dogs. Yes, <laughs> we're heading down a very strange path. Okay, well then anyway, let's let's come back. But what he's saying is, look, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There's danger. Yeah, I would want to protect you from it, but right. you would not let me. Which is the setup for what he's going to say now. After Palm Sunday, when he's in Jerusalem, he's being challenged by the religious leaders. And then we get to kind of this climactic moment in chapter 21. And it says, while some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones. Actually, in other gospels, it's probably the apostles. They're walking around. Remember, the other gospel accounts say, look, the apostles are pointing out to him all the beauty of the temple. They probably don't get out that much. A couple times a year, you know, maybe. Or every year. There we go. And they're like, look at how beautiful it is. Oh, Herod is doing all these renovations. Isn't it great? Look at the scaffolds. You know, all this yeah. stuff is going on. And he looks at them and he's like, all that you see, the days are coming when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they're probably like, oh. they're like that. They're <laughs> like, we're just Whoa, showing you downer, the buildings, downer, Jesus. bro. This is a this is just a Chill tour, out. man. The tour guide's like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's very specific, though. He w- they were looking at the buildings of the temple, saying how beautiful it is. Ju- just objectively beautiful. There's stones and adornment. That was okay. God wanted those things. And Jesus says it's all going to be ripped down. Yeah. And then we jump a little bit. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that they've we got to stitch the Gospel accounts together. They're out of Jerusalem now. They've crossed the Kidron Valley. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And it says here <laughs> that the apostles, bless you, asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? Now, what is the this? that we're talking about stone upon stone being thrown down this the, is the where throw down you start to read this though and people forget what question jesus is actually answering he just made an accusation against the temple right. a condemnation that the temple is going to be destroyed the apostles out of sheer shock because the temple is a huge deal for the temple to be destroyed th- the best analogy i can think of that i've heard before imagine you wake up one morning and you turn on the tv and wall street the U.S. Capitol and Vatican City have all been destroyed. Whoa. You're like, that's a lot. <laughs> the my, our financial world, our governmental world, and our spiritual world has all been wiped out. That would be the destruction of the temple for the Jews. Wow. It is everything. It is the economic life, it is the governmental life, and it's the spiritual life of Israel. To talk about its destruction wow. is a pretty big deal. And they're like, when will this happen? Yeah. And what sign will there be for when all these things start to happen? Yeah. What are they talking about? What is the this again? Destruction of the temple. Destruction of the temple. And that's where we lose it because then Jesus goes on he says, and he sure sounds like he's talking about the end of the world. He's like, don't be led astray for many are going to come in my name and say, I am he and the time is near. Don't go after them. And there'll be wars and insurrections and rumors of war, but don't be terrified for these things must happen first. But it's not immediately the end. And he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes and famines and plagues from place to place. Awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. And all this will happen. They'll persecute you. They'll hand you over. I mean, it sure sounds signs happening in the sky and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. And it sounds like the end of the world, right? Right. But what question is Jesus answering? When is this temple going to be destroyed? When is the temple going to be destroyed? That is the question he's answering. However, well, and then well, it talks about persecution and, and being taken before the Sanhedrin governors and giving an and oppor- opportunity to testify, to, to witness martyria. 
So what is he talking about? He's talking Just about the destruction of the temple. What is the temple? It is the whole, it's the microcosm of the whole universe. I think you're getting ahead of yourself. I think that's true because this does foreshadow yes, the end of the world. Right, absolutely. What is the temple that is to be destroyed? Well, you just said it's the three parts. It's, a, it's the governmental, the, the financial, and the spiritual. That's part of it. There is a physical brick and mortar, stone and mortar temple that is going to be destroyed in about 66, 70 AD. Right. But there's also another temple that's going to be destroyed. Oh, yeah, Jesus' body. Jesus is also the temple. That physical temple will be destroyed. But there is another temple that is going to be destroyed. And when that is destroyed, that destruction of that temple in his body. Remember, the earth quakes when that happens. He cries out, I thirst. There's a little famine going on in his very body. All of this is a microcosm as well of Jesus' destruction. Right. What is the destruction of Jesus? Now go back to the first reading. Here's my connecting point. If you go back to the first reading, and this is what I tried to set us up for, all, you know, in the other prophets like Isaiah, we mentioned, Jeremiah alludes to it. It says, after the day of the Lord, this day of judgment, there is going to be, you know, a stump that remains. Here in Malachi, it talks about the day of the Lord being like a furnace, that all of this stuff will be destroyed. Not even the stump or the shoot will remain. So the question is this. What is the day of the Lord? Well, I mean, according to what you're saying right here, we're talking about the passion and crucifixion of Jesus. I firmly think Good Friday is the day of the Lord. There's not multiple days of the Lord. It is not an era of the day of the Lord. There is a day, according to the Old Testament, in which sins will be paid for. Right. The unjust will be punished. All of these things will happen. Not even a stump remaining. Jesus is the stump of Jesse. He is the shoot that springs forth from it. On that day, on Good Friday, even the stump is cut down. Even the shoot is cut off. Shoot. Jesus takes the day of the Lord upon his own body. Yep. And it's only on, you know, it's a funny thing. The prophets, when put together, form this huge tapestry. And it says, it talks about after the day of the Lord, all of these people will come flocking to Zion. And in the end, and you know, after the great and terrible day of the Lord, Zechariah talks about all nations will come to Mount Zion to worship together and to do all these things. There'll be this outpouring of, of grace and all this stuff. And you read through the Gospels, and it's funny because you never really see that outpouring. You never see all the nations flocking and finally getting. I mean, if you were to read the Gospel for the first time, you'd read a story about this pretty much failed prophet that goes out, that proclaims things. People follow him. Sometimes there's large groups of people, but they always fade away. And even at the very end, when he's hanging on a cross, everybody leaves him except for a small handful. And then he raises from, rises from the dead and he tells a couple people and then the book ends. And you're like, the end, that's it. <laughs> well, when's the outpouring of the nations? When is this moment that all the peoples will flock to Zion? Well, it doesn't happen until Pentecost. Mm. It doesn't happen until the day of the Lord happens. I mean, the prophets are clear. The outpouring of the nations will come after the day of the Lord. The outpouring of the grace to the nations, when the apostles speak in tongues and all understand, does not happen until the day of the Lord is embodied in Jesus himself, Mm. until that temple is destroyed. Two temples in the gospel will be destroyed. Only one of them will come back. Only one of them will be resurrected, and it's Jesus himself. Wow. This is our warning that the end is coming. 
But it's also a warning with that in mind, with what you said at the very beginning of the podcast, not to be fearful, not to be afraid, not to look at this and be like, the world is ending, everything is going to be destroyed. The world will end someday. This will all pass away. But at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about that because the world, as it was known, the world of sin, the world of evil, the world of corruption has already died. Right. It has been obliterated in the day of the Lord. It was obliterated on Good Friday. It was taken on to the cross. Evil was defeated. The good were justified and vindicated on Easter Sunday when he came up out of the grave. Yeah. The vindication has taken place. We can't see that reality in its fullness yet. But we don't have to walk through the world with fear. We don't have to read words like this from Luke 21 and be shaking in our boots because we don't know when all this is going to happen. Yes, there'll still be wars and rumors of wars. Yes, there'll still be famines and earthquakes and everything else. But we don't need to fear them anymore because ultimately the day of the Lord has taken place. Our punishment is done. It's over. It's complete. And to the degree that we unite ourselves with that vindication that he wrought, we fear nothing. And we walk with courage. And we don't have to be lazy, like St. Paul says, because there's good reason to get up and start doing the work. Right. Because now is spring, and now is the time for the harvest, because the day of the Lord has come and gone. Does that make sense? Absolutely. At the risk of being too esoteric and spiritually. Anyway... It's a, anyway, it's a fascinating set of readings, dude. I think. It's it's good, and um, so we prepare ourselves. I always like to say, you know, we live as if there's uh, no tomorrow, mm. and we live as if there's ten thousand years. Actually, it's, uh, we live as if the world is about to end, and we live as if the church will endure for another ten thousand years. It's true. It's it, you do them it's both the, at the same time, and it's and the only live, way to be sane, right, in our world. It is, and like, Which is good. and and like, thankfully, because G, like I, I was saying this the other day, Mass, like there are there are no enemies, um, but ultimately only casualties. Yes, absolutely. So, you guys, thank you for joining us today. Mm. And um, I, you know, Scott and I, we've been talking, and like, we have ten thousand. Um, downloads a week, you guys. That's a lot of you guys. There's a lot of you guys. That's basically a stadium filled with people hanging out with us, which is absurd. And at they, least an arena. At least an arena, if not a stadium. <laughs> yeah. A stadium. Maybe and, a high school stadium. And you know, we're, we're actually a ministry from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center in Boulder, where we're our, we're trying to reach 30,000 students, which is a little bit more than an arena. And that is the fundamental work of what we do. Yeah, we're trying to reach the students, uh, faculty, and staff the University of Colorado at Boulder. And um, I just want to invite you into that mission. It's, it costs us about $1.7 million a year to run the ministry that we have here. And um, I would love to invite you, if you want to, to come and to join in this mission. I know that a lot of you listen, uh, and this is a huge bonus to your ministry. Um, and I'd love to add, invite you to, to give back, uh, like $10 a month, something like that. And I'll tell you, if if you did that, I mean, we might end up at like $1.2 million a year if you guys were to give $10 a month. If every one of you who yep. are listening, if there's 10,000 of you, yep. right? If everybody were to give $10, that's $100,000. Yep. Did I do the math right on that? Yeah, that's a that's a month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. $100,000 right. a right. month, $1.2 million a year. We wouldn't. That's a big impact. I'll tell you what. That's a huge impact, and we wouldn't have to uh, do a whole lot of fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, which I right now I love developing partners in this mission, and I'd like to invite you to partner with this uh, in this mission too. So if you want to go to thomascenter.org, um, you can find a donate now and and just leave us a little note and uh, join in this 
seriously awesome mission uh, that you're already a part of right now. Yeah, and we don't take that lightly, but really, like Father said, you're a part of the ministry of St. Thomas Aquinas. You yep. are helping us reach souls at the University of Colorado. And and I'll tell you, if you um, pray for us too, hmm. then we'll have better podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And we'll be more effective at reaching souls for Christ, which is our great joy. Amen. God bless you. Talk to you guys soon. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.